Uh, Father, we thank you that you speak to us uh, by your Spirit through your Word, uh, and we pray that you speak to us now as we uh, uh, look at this passage together. Uh, we pray that um, your Spirit will open our hearts and minds, that we might see Jesus, that we might love him, that we might worship him and give our whole lives to him. Uh, so we commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. What will you do with Jesus? Now, some of us have been hearing about Jesus for, oh, maybe 50, 60, 70 years. Some of us first heard the message of Jesus quite recently. Uh, last Sunday, I met someone in one of our congregations. Someone had invited him to church, and it was the, the first time he had ever set foot in a church building. And the same thing the previous time I was at that congregation. I met a different person who had come to church for the very first time in his life. Isn't that amazing? On the other hand, I also know people who have been coming to St. Mary's nearly every week longer than I've been alive. But regardless of how many years you've been coming to church, or how many times you've heard this, this story, I'd like to ask you to th think about it with me very carefully. Because in our passage today, we see a contrast between two ways of responding to Jesus. On the one hand, by this group of people called the Magi, and on the other hand, by a king, King Herod. Now the word Magi was originally used for Zoroastrian priests of the Medes and the Persians, who specialized in interpreting dreams. Although by the time of the writing of Matthew, it was generally used for astrologers, sages, sorcerers, and magicians. God's people were strictly forbidden from engaging in those things, which may be one reason why Christian tradition later reframed them as kings. But when these people heard about Jesus, they responded in one way. King Herod, on the other hand, was known as Herod the Great. He was the leader, the king uh, of, well, Israel at the time. He reigned from 37 BC to 4 BC, well known for his building projects. In fact, he was the one who was responsible for the rebuilding of the temple. Herod the Great's temple. He was half Jewish. He was a puppet of the Romans. He was also a bit of a nasty character. Um, he killed his own sons because he was afraid that they would want his throne. When he heard about Jesus, well, he responded in a different way. And as we look at the passage together, I want to ask, us, to ask ourselves, how are we responding to Jesus? How have I responded? To, to what extent am I like the Magi, to what extent am I responding like Herod? And what, if anything, do I need to do to change? Well, looking at the passage in verse 1, uh, it's chapter 2, verse 1, uh, we see that the things that are happening in this passage happened sometime after Jesus was born. Uh, I don't know how long it was, could have been up to two years. Uh, the verse introduces also uh, the two contrasting characters, Herod, the king on the one hand, and what they call the wise men, or, or literally the magi on the other, and they came from the east, which is probably Arabia or Babylon or Persia. Uh, we don't know how many there are. Uh, there are three gifts, uh, so people think there's three, but you never know, right? Because two people can share one gift, and one person can give more than one gift. Uh, so I actually don't know how many here. But they come to Jerusalem, uh, because they believe that a very special king of the Jews has been born. And they know this from the star. 
Uh, different people try to guess what the star is. Uh, some people noted that the Jupiter, which is the star of kingship, and Saturn, which is the star of the Jews, was in conjunction three times in 7 BC. And so they ah, maybe this is what it was. Uh, others point to other astrological events, which I won't bore you with. Um, star could also be a celestial being. Some people think it was a miraculous star that God put there, something like, like a kind of angel uh, to guide them. It uh, doesn't really matter. Matthew's not really interested in what the star actually was, but, but what it communicated to the Magi. What it showed them was that the king of the Jews had been born. And it must have been a very special king of the Jews as they look at the star because the way they responded. They procured expensive gifts, they left their homes, and they went out searching for him. And logically, they go in verse 2 to Jerusalem because that's where the Jewish kings lived. And naturally, but naively, they go around asking where the child might be. They say in verse 2, Where is he who is born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now news about this goes back to the palace. Can't hide from the palace. Huh? And news about this goes back to the palace. King. Huh? King of the Jews. This is a this is a threat. This is a threat to Herod's crown. He, he knows he's not the rightful king as far as God's promises are concerned, huh? Because you know, he knows God promised the true king would come from the line of David. He didn't come from the line of David. He's getting worried. And as is always the case when dictators are insecure, the, everyone else gets worried, what are they going to do? And so verse 3 tells us that he was troubled and all Jerusalem is with him. Troubled. But he's smart. He doesn't just lock up the Magi because they are causing trouble. He realizes there is a threat that is very real and he needs to get to the bottom of it. If the Magi are right and a king who has been born has got his own star, then this must be the Messiah, the Christ, God's promised king. And this is a threat to his own kingship. This must be stopped. You cannot tolerate a rival king. Now the Magi know a king's been born, but they don't know where. But Herod has other resources to find out. And so in verse 4, he assembles all the chief priests, the scribes of the people. He inquires of them where the Christ is to be born. He knows this is the Christ. You think? Where's the Christ going to be born? Where's the Messiah going to come from? They say to him, in Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, from from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the Bible scholars know, they tell Herod, Bethlehem. Bethlehem is this little town, Small sense, in many sense, insignificant little towns like a kampong, just 10 kilometers outside the city of Jerusalem. But it's from that place that Micah prophesied that the, the king, the shepherd of God's people will come. And so 
Herod knows this. He arranges a clandestine meeting. He sum summons the, the, the wise men secretly in verse 7. He finds out from them exactly what time the star appeared because it's going to help him work out how old the child is. And then he, in turn, shares information with them. And he sends them to Bethlehem in verse 8 saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Of course, he's bluffing lah. But he wants them to believe that. And so after listening to the king, they go on their way. And then in verse 9, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now sometimes we wonder, how does a star come to rest over a place? Of course, if it's a miraculous star, an angelic being, and then it's easy. Lah. It literally comes over the house where Jesus is. Now, those who think it's a planetary conjunction suggest the word behind our, our translation has a meaning in, in ancient astrology referring uh, to the movements of the planet in the sky that appears moving and it appears to stop and change direction. Now, of course, now we know it's because the Earth orbits the sun more quickly than Jupiter or Mars or Saturn. And if they are right, then the Magi go to Bethlehem and exactly where the child is, is where the star does that. And so whatever the case is, Matthew wants us to see that the star guides them to the right place. And when they realize they're in the right place, they are very happy. In fact, look at verse 10. Notice how Matthew underlines, highlights their joy. He says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So elated. Because they know they've arrived. The end of their journey has come. The quest is over. They've come to Jesus. So they go into the house and sure enough, in verse 11, they, they see the child and Mary, his mother. They fall down and worship him. Which is the only right response when you come into the presence of Jesus. You fall down and worship. And then verse 11 continues, they open their treasures. They offer him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know, the Old Testament predicts a time when the nations will come to Jerusalem and bring gifts and worship the one true God. Isaiah 60, our Old Testament reading, speaks about a time when, when Israel will come back from the exile. Arise, shine, it says to Israel, for your light has come. Uh, the glory of God will come to you. The nations will come into your light. Uh, the wealth of the nations will be brought to God's people and gold and incense from Sheba and Arabia are specifically mentioned in verse 6. And Jesus, God's light and glory are revealed. And the wise men, the magi, they are the first Gentiles to be drawn to that light. Fulfillment of Isaiah 60. And then our psalm for today, Psalm 72. Uh, we see God's promised king receive tribute from the kings of the nations. They come to him, they serve him, they bow down to him in homage, they bring him gifts and tribute, they bless him, they acknowledge him as king, and his kingdom will stretch from sea to sea, will last forever. Now, some of those things happen in a very small way during the time of Solomon. Uh, when the glory of Israel and his empire was at its peak, and people like the Queen of Sheba came and, and brought tribute to Solomon, but but the language of Psalm 72 is much more expansive than anything of Solomon's day. 
And so the Jews were looking forward to a time when God would give them a king, and that king would not only be the king of the Jews, but the king who will reign wherever the sun does his successive journeys run. A king whose kingdom would stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. And we see in the, the response of the Magi, a partial, not a complete, but a partial fulfillment of those passages. First fruits, foreshadowing the fulfillment. A hint of the things to come, that, that is the submission of all nations to God's King. A little mini version of the day when people from all nations and tribes and, and languages will bring their treasures and lay them at the feet of Israel's Messiah. And friends, that, that day has now dawned. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus died on the cross, a sign above him read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. That sign is for the whole world to see. You don't need to look at a star to understand it, you can see it. And after his resurrection, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That includes us. We're the beneficiaries of that. Here in KL. See, the Magi, they were forerunners of, of people like you and me. People who are not Israelites by birth, but have come to worship Jesus, Israel's Messiah. As we wait for the final day, when we, we gather around the throne of the great king and stand before him with men and women from every tribe and language and people and nation, worshipping him as the king, proclaiming his great salvation that brought us there. So these magi bow down, they worship him, they, they give him their gifts, their, their quest is over. And now all they need to do is stop by Jerusalem on the way back to let Herod know where Jesus is so he can come and worship him too. And something stops them. Verse 12, they're warned in a dream not to return to Herod. And so they depart to their own country by another way. Because Herod actually has got no intention of worshipping the baby Jesus. He was asking all these questions to, because he wants to try and get rid of him. He wants to kill him. Herod knew he is not the rightful king in David's line. But he's got no intention of handing his kingdom over to anyone. Well, as we look back at the passage today, it's, it's pretty clear who we should be like and who we shouldn't be like, right? We are not to be like Herod. Now that might be pretty obvious to you, especially if you know what's going to happen next. But I wonder if you are someone here today who actually needs to hear that. You know that Jesus is the king promised of old. King of the Jews who deserves the worship of the Gentiles. Maybe you've even consulted religious leaders to find out about the king. But actually, you have no intention of handing the kingdom of your life over to him. Because you know very well that if Jesus is the king of your life, then, then you no longer are. 
You know, know very well that if Jesus is the king of your life, then things are not going to stay the same. He will want you to change your behavior, and you have to follow him because he's the king. He'll want you to keep sex in marriage and nowhere else. He'll want you to be honest and to stop cheating or lying or taking bribes in the workplace. He'll want you to cultivate love and forgiveness in response to his love and forgiveness of you rather than clinging on to the hatred and bitterness and the things that your heart wants to cling on to. He'll want you to make him and his kingdom the priority in your life rather than pursuing whatever it is that is taking you away. Of course, lah, I don't want to hand over to Jesus. Herod would end up doing awful things to try and protect his kingdom from the baby Jesus. You may not do what he did, but you might still look for ways to avoid the kingship of Jesus. Don't be jealous of Jesus. You were never meant to be the king of your life in the first place. He is the rightful one. And it's actually good for you to have him as the king of your life. It's good for you. It's the way it's meant to be. We're not meant to be like Herod. Instead, we're meant to be like the Magi. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not saying that astrology and black magic are okay. Right? They are forbidden to God's people. We are strictly not to dabble in them. Do not even think about it. And if you've been doing that, please repent. But what it is saying is that God wants to bring people to Jesus from all over the world, no matter what their background, even from astrology and sorcery. And that he is sovereign, he can use anything, even things like that, for his purpose. So if you think there's something in your background or the background of someone you care about that makes it impossible for you to come to Jesus, well, you remember this. God even brought the Magi steeped in the dark arts from far, far away, not just physically, but spiritually, to come and bow the knee to King Jesus. And if he can do that, there is no one beyond his reach. And so friends, whoever we are, let us be like the Magi. When they saw the star in the heavens, the Magi went to Jerusalem. When we see, when we see God's hand in creation, we, we go to where we can find out more about him. There in Jerusalem, they heard the word of God. We need to hear the word of God. We're really going to find Jesus. The star supernaturally led them to Jesus. And likewise, we would never find Jesus ourselves. It is the spirit who supernaturally brings us to him. As he guides our hearts to what is written in his word. We might meet all kinds of people on the way. But oh, the joy when we come to Jesus. He is the end of our search. Whatever it is that we've been looking for, actually, the real quest, the underlying 
quest. Actually will find its fulfillment in him. And so we who come from the nations joyfully come to Israel's Messiah who is born the King of the Jews. And we bow in worship before Jesus. Now, not physically like the Magi because he's now in heaven, but we do so in spirit and in truth. We give our hearts to him. We bow before him in submission. Not just as the King of the Jews, but as our King. And that means we give him not just gold and frankincense and myrrh, but, but our whole lives. We know that he deserves it. We know that it's good for us to have him as our king. And we joyfully and happily surrender ourselves to him. Let us, my friends, be like the Magi. But you know, there's one way in which we're not to be like the Magi. Remember, at the end of the story, what do they do? They go back to their own country. Because their coming is just a foretaste of the coming in of the Gentiles into God's kingdom. But for us, <laughs> there's no going back. When we come to Jesus as our king, we become part of his kingdom, no matter what our background. Ephesians 2.11 says that once we were like those magi, separated from Christ. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. We were not part of God's kingdom. We were not part of Israel. And then it says, but now in Christ, you who were once off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The child whom those magi worship grew up and died for them and for us to pay the penalty of our sins so that we might be forgiven of our sin and reconciled to God. He rose again as king, that real king that God had promised. And when we come to him and we give him our lives and we are part of his kingdom, we are in. We are, in the words of Ephesians 2.19, no longer strangers and exiles, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. And so we Gentiles are in the words of our epistle reading today from Ephesians 3 verse 6. We Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. What a wonderful thing that is. And so my friends, let me finish by asking you again. How are you responding to Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Will you resist him like Herod? Or worship him like the Magi? Jesus died so that you can be forgiven and rose again as Lord of heaven and earth. The only right response is for us to bow down and worship him and to offer him the kingship of all of our lives. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? Amen.